I love it. Well, are you guys having a good day so far? Yes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I got to tell you guys a good one. So um, I, the other day I ran into to a, an associate, um, well, an acquaintance, actually. And uh, so this acquaintance, he comes up and, and we're chatting back and forth and he's kind of talking a little mumbly. And he goes, hey, man, sorry, it's probably hard to understand me. I got a couple of teeth pulled. And I was like, oh, man. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, it's pretty crazy. He said, I went in and I got a tooth pulled and I'm driving home. And I reach in there, I'm like, oh, and I realize they pulled the wrong tooth. Yeah. I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, they pulled the wrong tooth. I'm like, dude, that's horrible. And he goes, yeah. So I had to go back and told him, like, you pulled the wrong tooth. And he so, so then they pulled the next tooth. And he goes, but the good news is they didn't charge me for the second one. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Like, okay, I'm an optimist. I'm probably one of the more positive people you will ever meet, meet, but that goes far beyond on optimism. I mean, that's a whole new bar. They pulled the wrong tooth, but the good news is they didn't charge for the second one. <laughs> that is the glasses way half full. So anyway, I, I have met my match. <laughs> oh, good night. Oh, yeah. I called Karen and told her that story on the phone and she was with other people and they thought she was losing her mind because she was giggling. Oh, goodness. Well, bless us, Lord. Father, thank you that we can be together today. Thank you that you're here in our midst. I pray, Lord, that as we look at the scriptures together, as we look at the testimony of who you are, that you, God, would form Christ in us. I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear so we can respond to the reality of your kingdom, of who you are, and what you want to accomplish today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is uh, in Colossians 1. Oh, you know what? I need to share one thing with you. Um, so a uh, little, little, uh, little update here. So normally at Christ Center, what we do, our approach to having an opportunity to grow and have different opportunities to be equipped to do the work of the ministry is we have a trimester approach to home groups. And many of you have been here quite some time, so you know that. Some of you are new, so you don't know that. Uh, and what we do is three times a year, we launch different home groups and different people can come up with ideas and thoughts of what they would like to offer for that trimester. And so um, we've had all kinds of amazing things that we, the pastoral team, probably would have never thought of, but you thought of and have invited people to. Some of my favorites, there was a stretching your faith, which was a meditation on the scriptures while also doing um, uh, essentially like yoga, but without the chakras and all the other business, but rather meditating on Christ. And it was amazing. People not only became healthier in their bodies, but encountered Christ in some powerful ways. In fact, it was kind of amazing how often people would just be weeping as they're spending time in the presence of the Lord and aligning not only their spine physically, but their spirit with God. That was an incredible home group. I would have never thought of that. Isn't that cool? 
Others have been book studies. There have been um, Supper Club, of course. How many of you guys have been to Supper Club, which is to break bread one with another? And um, so, so we want you to know that if you have an idea of something um, that you would like to offer at some point and say, man, this is something I would love to lead a group through, please come and see myself or Jason or Janelle or Karen or whoever else, and, and we would love to um, see if we couldn't accommodate that. Um, so that is our approach to having an opportunity to connect with others and to grow in Christ. However, as we were preparing for um, this trimester, for the spring trimester of home groups, I heard the Lord say, you're not doing a spring trimester of home groups in the way that you normally do. And I said, oh, okay, uh, Lord. <laughs> and, um, and so I brought it to the team, and, um, and we discussed and prayed. And here, here was the scripture that, that he was bringing to me as he was speaking. And uh, it's out of Acts chapter 2, verses 46 through 47, and it says this, with one accord, they continued to meet daily in the temple courts and to break bread from house to house, sharing their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You know, here, what you're doing right now is the equivalent of the temple. It's the equivalent of coming to the synagogue or coming to the temple. We worship together. We hear the scriptures together. We encourage one another. We worship the Lord, and it says that God inhabits the praises of his people, and we do that. The other part of what we saw in the early church is that they would break bread with gratitude and sincerity, with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with people. There's something that happens when you bring someone into your home, I think you guys have probably heard me say it and I'll keep saying it until I retire. But when Karen and I first came to Christ Center, we were invited to a lot of different home groups and we were very grateful and we did eventually end up joining a home group. But you know what actually got us to uh, join this, that be actually become a part of this church was when Mark Gwillem invited us to come over for dinner. And that was actually the front door to us really connecting. And then after that, then we actually joined a home group. But it was in hospitality of being invited into someone's home and breaking bread that it actually kind of broke down the, the, uh, the barriers for us. And, and we, we ended up having our, our hearts knit to all y'all. And that was, the, that was the first step of us realizing like, oh man, all right, we're in. We love you. Fine. There's something powerful. There's something powerful about that. There's something about coming together with the simplicity of inviting someone into your, into your home, into your life. Now, and, 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 and eating together. You know, communion, as, as Red pointed out, is where we break the bread. In fact, when the disciples, when, they, when Jesus, after he rose again from the dead, when they realized it was Christ, it was when he broke the bread and gave them fishes, and then their eyes were opened, and they realized, oh, you're the Christ. Well, you guys, when we come together, when we meet one with another, when we bring people into our, into our homes and we break bread with them, what we're doing is we're proclaiming the broken body of Christ. We're proclaiming the bread of life. We're proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it is incarnational. It is Christ himself in that moment. And so we're going to be talking more about this. We're going to be talking more about each of us responding to the reality of the kingdom of heaven of which we are a part and to the adoption into a family of which we are a part. And our response to that, that we would eat food with gladness from home to home, with sincerity of heart, that the gospel of the kingdom 
would be birthed in each of our hearts. And that those that are a part of this family that have not yet knit their hearts one with another would have their hearts knit. And that, and that's, and that's, that, that, re- that requires us to respond to those things. And I know your heart's already in that place. Um, but that's what, uh, that's what we're going to be up to for this, for this uh, next season. So there'll be a little more to come in regard to that. But, you know, lest I make it seem too complicated, um, Jason coined a phrase, casual hospitality. Casual hospitality. Uh, just bring somebody into your world. Just share your life with someone. Share your life. I see you. I see you. You're valuable to the Lord. You're valuable to me. Tell me your story. Let's eat together and let me hear what Christ has done in and through and to you. Amen? We're also going to have a couple of fun things that there'll be more to come on that where we actually combine both services and do a few things this summer. It's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, that is your update. It's going to be fun. All right. Let's read the scriptures together here. This is Colossians uh, chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Once... And I'm going to just read this as we, okay? Because this is our story. Once, we were alienated from God and were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. But now he has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death to present us holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If we continue in our faith established and firm, and don't move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission of God, I'm sorry, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. The thing that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, hidden from demons and hidden from angels, hidden from all men, hidden from everyone, the purposes of God from 
from the time that Adam and Eve fell and God prophesied that, that, that her seed would crush the snake's head, from the time that Abraham was cruising around without kids, from the times that we see Moses leading people across the Red Sea, all through this time, ages and generations, the prophets speaking of these things, these, these dark sayings, as, as the King James puts it, right? Dark sayings, meaning riddles that are hidden. It's been hidden for ages and generations, and now it's been disclosed to us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. It all comes down, it all comes down to one thing, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Everything is moving, everything is working, everything is pointing towards something. God has been working and pointing towards something. Jesus gave his life for something and he did not hide it, it's now been disclosed and it is simply this, Christ in us, the hope of glory. He's the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may be, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want to tell you a story. Yeah, look at that sweet ride. If you can just picture me, slightly thinner, a little more hair on top. Same level of confidence, 13 years old, probably more confident than actually time and time's humbled me. We, uh, we, my, our family rented this ranch. It was called uh, Springs of Living Water Ranch. And it was almost uh, just shy of 400 acres in, uh, on the Nevada, in the Nevada mountains. And it, what it was, was this ranch was actually a sheep ranch. And so it had this big sheep barn and had all these fences and what have you. And when we, when we started renting it, we were actually going to rent to own. Um, and the previous owners left this glorious 125 Suzuki trail bike, which was like freedom, baby. And, um, and I loved this motorcycle. I loved it. It was just... It's just amazing. So faithful. Every time I just get on it, just one kick, boom, and I would just go. I would just go. And I, I can't tell you for a 13-year-old boy, and I'm sure a 13-year-old girl, what it means to be able to just go anywhere you want. Just go anywhere you want. Go on adventures. And it, I, I, oh, I could just go back there right now. I'm just, I'm there right now. Just, you just hold on for a minute. Okay, I'm back. So anyway, everything's going great, and my faithful little Suzuki is doing what it's supposed to. But, but I started noticing at a certain point, I started losing power, and so I would be riding, and I'd start to go up a hill, and it's kind of like, and I thought, okay, I'm out of fuel. So I check, nope, I got fuel, so I, Come on. And so I pushed it home, and I'm like, okay, what do I do? And I, and I, I mean, I, I was young, so I didn't know quite what to do, so I, I did what I thought to do. I changed the spark plug. I changed the spark plug wire. I checked to make sure the, the, you know, the magneto was giving me spark. Um, I checked to make sure I didn't have bad gas, changed that out. Did everything that I needed to do. So I started talking to some other people, but here's the thing. It would start a little bit, you know, but it had no power. I couldn't move forward. I couldn't, I couldn't get, it lost power, right? 
I had fuel, I had spark, but I didn't have power. And so, so, uh, so I started asking around some of my other buddies. And I'm like, hey, what's going on with this thing? And so somebody else who worked on motorcycles all the time listened, and he goes, oh, man, well, it sounds to me like you don't have any compression, and, um, and so you need to change the rings. And I'm like, oh, boy. So I'm thinking, like, well, how do I do that? So I was super overwhelmed. So what I did was I just went ahead and parked that in the shed, and then I just started riding my dad's motorcycle. <laughs> so I did, I did that for a couple of years, and, and it just sat there. And, but I really liked this bike, you know? I really did. This is my first motorcycle. I just, I, it's precious to me. So I thought, I need to fix that thing. And so as I got a little bit older, I, I was like, man, I need to break that thing out. Now, I had spent a lot of time trying to get that stinking thing to run, and I just couldn't. So I thought, well, I'm going to do this right. So I tore the whole thing apart, tore, took the engine completely out, put in, the new, put in the new rings, rebuilt it, cleaned everything up, stripped it down to the frame, repainted the frame, painted everything, put the whole thing back together, and put in some fresh gas. I think at that point, I changed the spark plug and the spark plug wire again, just because it had been sitting for so long. And, and I, you know, new gas in it and everything. And I'm like, like stupid. This is true. This was, I had a pretty bad temper back then. Anyway, um, and so finally I'm, I'm, I'm going, you know, it's got fuel. It's good fuel. Boom. And it backfires and shoots this big flame out and blows the air filter out of it. And the, and it, the air filter lands on the ground and I'm looking at it. It just looks like a brick. Just looks like a brick. It's so full of dirt and dust and like probably sheep wool for all I know. I mean, it is like solid. And I think, no, no. And I, just like it's supposed to. It was the air filter. It was the air filter. Like it didn't need any of that stuff I did. It just couldn't breathe. It wasn't getting oxygen. As you guys know, an internal combustion motor needs three things, right? Spark, we already covered that. It needs fuel and it needs oxygen. Well, I was filling it full of fuel and it had the spark, but it did not have any oxygen. It had no oxygen. And what I'm trying to say to you is that Christ in us is oxygen. You see, we have, we have these rhythms of being a disciple. We have the scriptures which are about God. We have the traditions that God has given us as a part of his church that have been handed down from Adam until today. We have good disciplines. We even have true religion. The scripture says true religion is this, take care of the widow and the poor and keep yourself unspotted from the world. We have all those things. It's plenty of spark and fuel. But Christ in us, the hope of glory, that's oxygen. You can have all of those things, but you will have no forward motion if we forget that it's all about Christ in us. And a lot of us, what we end up doing, now this is the crazy part about walking with God, is that we can actually be engaged with the work of the Lord. We can be doing our best to do the right things, can be reading the scriptures, getting up early, having our quiet times, serving the poor, giving our tithes, giving our offerings, being selfless, going through all those motions, and at the same, and then yet at, at some point you start to realize like, uh, 
something's wrong. Something's wrong. I'm kind of going. But it's like, you know what I mean? Everything is start, stop. And it's because somewhere along the line, we lost sight of the fact that the whole gospel is Christ in us. The hope of glory. The mystery that was kept hidden for ages and generations was not, if you will follow these rules, then you will live. If you will learn about this guy, then you will live. No, those things are true, but they're not Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? You see, there's a subtle difference. There's a, well, let me say it like this. Let me say it like this. You remember those little wristbands, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? You know? And if you were left-handed, you'd put it on your left hand. If you were right-handed, put it on your right hand. So that way when your hand was doing something naughty, you'd be like, well, what would Jesus do? I need to stop doing that. Right? And you know, the what would Jesus do, (laughs) really, is the scriptures. You look at his life and you go, well, that's what Jesus would do. Look at his life. Look what he did. What would Jesus do is learning from the saints, the apostles, those that have gone before us. And we're going, man, look at this person. I'm going to, like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what Jesus would do. And that is so good. That is so good. That is certainly vital. But it's not Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, I would say that's the spark and the fuel. What would Jesus do? Read the scriptures. You're going to see that. What does he have to say? Read the scriptures. You're going to see that. Be with the people. Follow what he's asked you to do. But but catch this. There's a subtle difference. And I think this is something we need to make sure we're employing. And that is, Jesus, what are you doing? What would Jesus do? Jesus, what are you doing? You know that, uh, that song, I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives, right? And then if you've got a good soul person singing it, then they'll throw down that, I spoke with him this morning and I know, right? We need to be able to say, I spoke with him this morning and I'm still speaking with him right now and that's why I know my Redeemer lives because it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. I know about him, But most importantly, I know him. And you see the subtle difference? You see how we can end up, we can end up, we can actually end up missing this. Which is why Paul wrote this to the Colossians. This is why he wrote this letter to them. Is he saying, guys, don't get caught up in all this religiosity and just keeping the rules and just the philosophies and just the important teachings, although they're important. But don't miss that the gospel is Christ in you. Don't miss that you're with him right now and that he seeks to be with you. Let me, let me read you something. This is, uh, this is the message version of the same thing we just read. This mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just the Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. The mystery in a nutshell is just this, Christ in you. 
So therefore, you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That is the substance of our message. We preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense. I love that. So that we can bring each person to maturity. To be maturity is to be basic. Christ, no more, no less. That's what I'm working so hard at, day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy God so generously gives me. I love the fact that the scriptures have that, where, where he's saying, where, where Paul's saying, look, I'm pouring out my life day after day, year after year, to see that Christ gets formed in you, Colossians. And that encourages me because you know what? We all live here. Did you notice that, that we live here? And we live day after day, year after year. And something can happen while we're living day in and day out. We can forget the simplicity of the gospel. How many, how many of you, let me me, me use this example. I think the difference between, I think a good example of us losing the fact that it's Christ in us, the hope of glory, can come out and can be well illustrated if you look at some people's marriages. And, and what happens is you have people, they've been married for years, right? So they are definitely married. They live in the same house. They sleep in the same bed. They eat at the same table. They pay their bills together. Day in, day out, they're living. But, but, but when you talk with them, you notice that what's interesting is there's a lot of distance. So even though they're at the same table, somewhere along the line, they're not present anymore. The relationship is no longer coming in and being present one with another to say, hey, how are you feeling? How do you want to feel? What's going on with you today? I want to know, I want to know about your life. I want to know, I want to look in your eyes and I want to see what's going on. I want to hear your heart. I'm present with you. And what it's done is it's been diminished down to We come in, we have our routine, we do this thing, but you're basically just like really functional roommates. Do you guys, you see that difference? See, what happens is, (laughs) it's kind of like that uh, that adage, right, where it's like where the wife says, well, you don't love me. He says, I love you. And she says, well, you never say it. He goes, well, I told you I loved you when I married you, and I'll let you know if that changes. Right? In our walk with the Lord, though, We can begin in that place where it's like, Lord Jesus, you've saved me. And Christ, as we know, comes into us. And it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. But then as time goes on, even though we're engaged with many of the works that he's working on, somewhere along the line, we come in and we eat the bread and we drink the wine and we sing a couple of songs and then we head out and then we just do our thing. And then at night it's like, oh, Father, please bless me and help me to wake up alive in the morning and thank you that everything I have came from you. And those are all really good things. But you find that you're actually going through the motions and somewhere along the line, we lost the gospel because the gospel at its basic component is Christ is in me. You see, we don't have a message that we have superior wisdom, although Jesus' wisdom is superior, but that's not our message. We don't come with an incredible religion to give people a list of rules that they need to live by. The rules that God gives us to live by are wonderful, but that's still not the message. There's a moral code that God's given us 
that's been lived out through love God with all your heart, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, but that is not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is Christ in us. Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. To where, rather than I say, you should turn to Jesus because someday you'll go to heaven, it's you should turn to Jesus because he wants to be in you in the hope of glory. John 17, Jesus prays this. He says, Father, I want them to see my glory, the glory that I had when I was with you. And then later he says, in the same prayer, he says, and Father, I want to share my glory with them, that they would be one with us and one another as we are one. You see, the beauty of the gospel, the power of the gospel is that Christ is in you and he wants you to share in his glory and he wants to share his glory in you and through you and to you and with you. You're carrying the kingdom of heaven with you. When you walk into a room, the glory of Christ Jesus comes into that room with you. And my question is, do you even see it? Are you aware of it? Do I remember that he's in me? Do I remember that Christ is in me? The hope of glory? When I'm washing the dishes, do I think Jesus and I love clean dishes? When I walk into my business, do I say, Jesus, you're the one that commanded me to be profitable. How are we going to do this today, Lord? When I go into my employer's house and I go, oh, Jesus, This feels like a Joseph day to me. How can I make my bosses look like geniuses? You're in me, the hope of glory. Jesus, you're walking around in Mickey D's right now. I'm 16 years old. This is my first job. Jesus, how famous can you get in a Mickey D's? Huh? Lord God, we're writing a song right now and Christ is in me, the hope of glory. I'm raising children right now and Christ is in me, the hope of glory. This is a whole lot more than hype. It's a whole lot more than emotionalism. Although it's quite emotional when you got the hope of glory inside of you. But something shifts, something shifts. And we have to be reminded about this. And and I want you to be encouraged because the truth is we're not the only ones that had to be reminded. We have these scriptures that have been written to others who are a part of the bride in in Colossae and and in Laodicea. And in fact, this, this, this letter that's written to the Colossian church, in the end of it, he says to them, I want you to share this letter with the Laodiceans. And I've written them a letter, and then they're going to trade with you. So make sure that all everybody in the cities, these different churches of the cities, that you hear the same message that I'm giving you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Don't depart from it. Don't add to it. It's all about the fact that the God of the universe is saying, I hold nothing back from you. I'm holding nothing back from you. I actually want you to share in my glory. I want you to be the temple that travels and everywhere you go, the glory of God literally shines out through and to you into those situations. Are you guys with me? This is not hyperbole. This is not hype. This is the whole gospel. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And somewhere along the line, 
It gets hard, doesn't it? Somewhere along the line, we get a little distracted. Somewhere along the line, we get a little religious. We get a little legalistic. We start going, oh, yeah, yeah, Christ gave me hope of glory, but I got to make sure I keep these rules. Well, the thing is, guys, Christ is oxygen, and without him, you're going to get no forward motion keeping those rules. Or if you are super good at keeping the rules without him, you're going to kill everybody else with them. Either way, you ain't getting nowhere. You see, it's about Jesus. It's about coming in and saying, wait a minute, if you actually want to fill me up with your own very self, you want to be with me, you want to be unto me, you want to be through me, you want me to share with your glory, you're holding nothing back from me, and you've said that the answer to the world's problems is Christ, but not just Christ, Christ in me. So in my house, I'm carrying Christ. My children get to see Christ in me. When I'm balancing my budget, I'm with Christ. Jesus, is there anything in this? I'm right here. Jesus loves balanced budgets. He also loves budgets. There's a revelation for a couple of you. Are you guys seeing this? You see, one of the challenges that we have coming in and preaching is that we can, we can accidentally, in our zeal to give you principles and rhythms of discipleship and, and all of these things, and they're all great, guys. They're all great. But at the end of the day, if we don't get this, that everything that we have, everything that we are is in Christ and Christ is in us, it's just a bunch of really well-intentioned rules that don't work. I remember watching The Simpsons. It was actually when I finally gave up on watching The Simpsons. But um, Homer, I loved The Simpsons. Me and Mercy used to watch The Simpsons together. She was this cute little biscuit and she'd run in and, and, she'd, and we'd, she'd be like, Dad, let's watch The Simpsons. And The Simpsons would come on and she'd go, Woohoo, Simpsons, Daddy! And she'd jump on my lap and we'd eat popcorn. It was the best. But then they turned on me. And, uh, and Homer's sitting in a chair and he's doing a crossword puzzle and he goes, and he said, uh, he goes, what's a seven-letter word for that well-meaning religion that has a bunch of rules that doesn't work? And, and, um, and uh, the little girl, what's her name? It's been a long time. Bart's sister. Lisa. Yeah, she goes, Christianity. He goes, oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, great joke. Except for it's true if Christ isn't in us. It's just a bunch of well-meaning rules that don't work if Christ is not in us. If we don't understand that we're to be interacting with him each day as the living God inside of us, all we have are a bunch of well-meaning rules that don't work. But if Christ is in us, suddenly we have power and forward motion and those guidelines become very beautiful. They become markers and banks on a river so that life flows. Are you with me? Those rhythms are fuel, but Christ is oxygen. We can't live without him. Let me read this, let me read this to you. This is a letter. Now, as I, as I shared, the apostle said, give this letter that I just read to you to the church of Laodicea. Here's another letter to the church of Laodicea written by the apostle John. And he's writing it down though. He's encountered Jesus and Jesus is speaking to John and Jesus says, and this, so this is all red. If you, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? So look for the red. That's Jesus's words. So John has had this vision. He's encountered Jesus and he's written down the words that Jesus has given him. This is Jesus speaking first person to the church of Laodicea. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. 
I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you're lukewarm and you're neither cold nor hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Did you catch this? He's saying to the church of Laodicea, the same church that Paul was just chatting with, he's saying, you guys, you got lost along the way somewhere. You forgot that the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you know what happens, guys? Here's the thing. If you stay in the kingdom and you are going to stay in the kingdom, God bless you. I know you are. I know you're going to make it because he's going to complete the good work he began in each of us. But I tell you, as you continue in Christ, you're going to start having some problems of success. And the more that you align yourself with the kingdom, the more problems of success that you're going to have. And one of those problems of success that you're going to have is that the kingdom doesn't create poverty. The kingdom creates wealth. And wealth becomes a problem if you forget that the gospel of the kingdom is Christ in you. Because then you become distracted by the wealth. You become distracted by the symptoms of righteousness. There are times when Christians suffer poverty. There are times, there are seasons, but the bottom line is the majority of the time without those exceptions is that where you're faithful in the kingdom, his kingdom brings wealth. And the Laodiceans began to be distracted by the problems of success that they had, by the symptoms of the kingdom. And rather than saying, Lord, you've given me more to manage, what shall I do to extend your kingdom? They thought to themselves, I'm rich, I'm well clothed, I'm doing great. The Lord must be really pleased with me because look how he's rewarded me. And that was true until they got distracted by it. Are you with me? And instead of saying, Christ in me, what are you doing now? Christ in me, you just gave me a bumper crop. Do you want me to build another barn? You guys remember that parable, right? Instead, the Lord's saying, no, I want you to build a factory in China. And I want it to be totally profitable. And I want everyone that comes there is going to somehow get saved because that's my real plan while I create jobs, wealth, and salvation. You go, wow, I would have never thought about that. He goes, I know. Right? Are you guys hearing me? You see, Christ is always doing something. But when we lose sight, that's just one example, but when we lose sight of Christ in us, the hope of glory, we stop at a certain point, and the Laodiceans have done that. And they think they're rich, and they think they're clothed, and they think they're seeing clearly. And God says to them, no, you're missing the point. Something happened. You got lukewarm. You, you, you stop. It's like that marriage, right? It's like you said you loved me at the beginning, but now you don't tell me you love me anymore. We don't even hang out. You're going, but Lord, I told you I loved you, and I'll let you know if that changes. He's like, ah, it's not a marriage. You guys with me? Still with me? All right, I'm going to keep going. We're wrapping up with this. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. I love this. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Why is he saying this to us? Because he loves us. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. We've heard those words before, haven't we, right? 
If you're not chastened, it's because you don't have no daddy. That's what he says. But if you're being chastened, it's because the Lord loves you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This is incredible because in Colossians, which was written for the Laodiceans as well, he says to them, this is the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Revelation, he's reminding them of the same thing. He's saying, I'm standing at the door and knocking. You guys used to be with me. You used to be walking in what I commanded you to do. Somewhere along the line, you got distracted, be it by problems of, dis- of success or persecution or whatever. You got distracted. All of a sudden, I'm not Christ in you, the hope of the glory. I'm Christ outside of you, knocking on the door, saying, are you going to let me back in? You're naked. You're poor. You're not even ashamed. You can't even see it. Let me in. And if you will repent, he says, I will come in, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and we will sup together. That's King James Version. And we will eat together. I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Did you catch that? There's that glory again. To him who overcomes with me, like me, I will let him sit with me on the throne in my glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you turn to me, sitting on the throne with me in my glory. Don't you love that continuity? He's holding nothing back from us. But he wants to be in the day with us. He wants to be in the moment with us. He wants us to be present with him because that's the whole gospel. As I was preparing to preach today, what, what kept going through my mind, I could just see it. Like I could just see it over and over again. I just kept seeing it. Where Saul is persecuting the church. You guys know the story in Acts. Saul is persecuting the church and he's zealous. He's doing everything he knows, right? He's doing the scriptures. And he's, kill, he's, he's dragging off the Christians in the name of God and he's stoning them. He is so zealous for the scriptures. He's memorized all of them by heart. He keeps the Sabbath. He tithes. He is a Pharisee of Pharisees. Everything he does, he's doing for the Lord, and he's killing God's kids. And God appears to him, and the light shines, and he's blinded. He's blinded because he was actually already blind. So God allows him to be physically what he already was spiritually. And as you know, he's carried away. He's fasting for three days. God speaks to Ananias. Ananias comes, prays for him, and here's the part I keep seeing. And it says, and something like scales fell from Paul's eyes, and then he could see. Now, in that encounter, when the light shone, and then 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 he hears Paul or Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, This, I don't know who you are. And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard to kick against the pricks, the thorns. And what happens? His eyes are opened. And he receives this revelation that we just read, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our response to this, and I know this is in our heart, but our response to this can only be to say, oh my God, like in Revelations 3, oh my God, let me buy that salve that my eyes would be open, that I would see things clearly, Lord. If I become unable to see, then I want to see. 
Lord, if, if this world has started to put scales on my eyes where I'm not seeing the kingdom as it is and I'm not seeing Christ as Christ in me, the hope of glory and something has shifted and I run through the motions but I have this weird dichotomy where it's like, well, I manage this part of my kingdom and yeah, Lord, I give you 10% and, and I do this and I go to church on Sunday and here's my list of rules and, and it's just become some rhythms of discipleship but it's not Christ in me anymore. I'm missing everything and I need my eyes to be opened back up because it's just become a bunch of well-meaning rules that don't work. And this world doesn't need more rules. It's the most litigious, legalistic, self-righteous, moralistic anarchy we've ever seen. It's the strangest thing. They don't need another set of rules. They need Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what they want to encounter. But have we become, have we become poor and we think we're rich? Have we become blind and we think we're seeing? Have we become naked and we don't even realize it? We don't even know how to be ashamed about it anymore? And I believe that the Lord is saying yes. Yes, to some degree we have. And he wants the scales to come from our eyes and he loves us, so he's chastening us to say, come back to that first love. Come back to that first thing. I am oxygen. I want you to have forward motion. I want you to join me in my glory. I want to share my glory with you. And, my, and the way that I do that is by be being Christ in you, the hope of glory. And, and, and this is a supernatural work because listen to me trying to explain this in English. Listen to me trying to talk about the realities of the fact that the creator of all the universe has chosen each of us and he loves us so much and wants to share his glory in and through and to us together to show all that he is who he is. Listen to me trying to say that in English and, and make it mean something that's even close to commensurate to what it actually is. I would say this, oh God, that you would let the scales fall from our eyes, that we would return to you with all of our heart and say, God, let me be aware and see you as you are. Let's stand to our feet. Every apostolic prayer, or not every, but so many of the apostolic prayers, they say this, I've been praying for you that the eyes of your understanding would be open, that you would know the love of God. I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be open, that you would perceive the height and depth and width and breadth of the love of God. It's not that we need God to come, it's that we need our eyes to be open, that we would understand he's here. Can you receive this word? There's no condemnation in this word. But there is a call for us to say, God, in the places where we've become blind and deaf and distracted and not sensitive to you as the hope of glory in us, in the places where we have play dates with you instead of just spending every moment with you, in the places where we, we're trying to think without you, in the places where we have a weird marriage with you, we want to be healthy, we want to be whole, we want to be healed, we want to be present, amen? I want you to just take your hands and put them on your eyes if you would. I want to pray for our eyes. I just I have that picture. I know, right? Lord Jesus, we just, we just put our hands on our eyes right now. Lord, everybody that's here that's willing to do that, God is responding to you because there's something in us where we're saying, Lord God, if, where we're not seeing things as it is, God, would you take these scales off of our eyes? Lord, where we're blind and we think we see, would you give us your eyes? where we're persecuting the, the thing that you want to do, Jesus, where, where we live a lifestyle that is, in, that is in tension with what you want to do. God Almighty, let us see it clearly and let us no longer persecute the life that you're trying to live through us with the choices that we want to choose.
Oh God, let the scales fall from our eyes. Let the salve be upon our eyes, Lord, that we would see you as you are and ourselves as you've made us and the world as it is and your kingdom would come in us, through us, in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, say amen. I'm gonna poke myself in the eye a little bit there. All right, Lord, but with this good eye, Father, still. Okay. It's a sovereign and a supernatural work for the Lord to open our hearts and to cause us to become sensitive again to him in us. And it's, it's that simple, but it changes everything. It changes everything because then suddenly we stop going from what would Jesus do and then seeing it through our weird lenses to Jesus, what are you doing? Do you see the difference? So Father, I want to ask right now for all of us, for us as a people, according to your scripture, according to your desire, Christ be formed in all of us. And let us be sensitive, Jesus, to you in us in everything that we do. Do you guys want that? Amen. The prayer servant team is coming forward. If you need more ministry, please come and receive it. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for receiving that word. He loves you, and I love you too.